Hi, this is Astrid Swan. I'm Nick Triani. And you're listening to the first ever My Lawyer Will Call Your Lawyer as a podcast. Wow, history. Um, yes, so uh, Joan Didion, The Centre Will Not Hold, directed by Griffin Dunn. So before we go there, let's just tell that today we have two movies that we're going to okay, talk about. Yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about two movies today. Uh, I think somehow they're both related in a way. One's a documentary, one's a TV series, so strictly they're not movies. <laughs> But anyway, so um, we're going to talk about Mindhunter, which is the the kind of serial killer profiling series by David Fincher. As on featured Netflix, on Netflix and it's on very recently um, added to their yeah. service. And then the other one is Joan Diddy and The Centre Will Not Hold, also a Netflix yeah. program, uh, directed by Griffin Dunn, who is related. Um, I haven't read any Joan Didion. We'll talk about let's Joan talk first. Let's talk about Joan. Yeah. Yeah, 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 let's talk about Joan first. So what is, is The Centre Will... The Centre Will Not Hold. Is, is the name of the Yeah, Joan Didion, The Centre Will Not Hold, is yeah. the name of the doc. Um, I haven't read any Didion, though this did make me go and start reading some, but I think for me she's a character that has really appeared culturally. I've come across her path many times. She's been mentioned a lot. Um, and she's, of course, quite an iconic figure. What I wanted to ask you, Astrid, what, can you tell us what kind of writer Joan Didion is? Can you, can you kind of just give us a bit of an idea of what kind of literary presence she is? Well, for me, she's a legendary writer, um, and I have read her. Um, she Quite a bit. Brought, yeah, yeah, and she brought... I probably came across first in, you know, her writing in Vogue, like, years and years ago, and then discovered who she is, and then um, learned that she's a really important journalist in America because she brought, in the 60s and 70s, this personal narrative into journalism and into mainstream, like, really big, like, times. and Yeah, I mean, this New is York what I've understood. I think you could even say the more kind of diary or bloggy kind of stuff. I mean, is she the mother of that kind of writing, um, do you think? Well, yeah, I, yeah, maybe in some way. I mean, there there is so much, so many mothers for that kind yeah. of tradition. But she's one of them that basically, like, the patriarchal... Uh, newspapers started buying and using, you know, and yeah. and though so she became very famous mm. and very appreciated as a writer. Mm. And as a writer, she's a very amazing um, writer who uses language, like really she pinpoints yeah. to these amazing details and she's a really great writer. So that's who she is. She's a very, as an American literary figure, she's very high up there, and it's almost mm. surprising that there hasn't been a documentary about her Yeah. Before. I mean, I have to say this, that I think it's, I think the documentary comes at the right time. It feels like it comes at this time when um, Didion really is, you know, kind of omnipresent, and like I said earlier, her cultural high point. I, I had a bit of a funny feeling with the documentary. I mean, I'm I'm kind of glad the documentary was made, of course, and I did enjoy many aspects of it. But um, I kind of had a problem with Griffin Dunn 
actually. I I kind of felt that um, there was a. It felt a bit embarrassing at times as he was trying to establish his own family connection. What was his family connection? Uh, wasn't was she his what? aunt? I have to do research on yeah, this. Yeah, I think she was. Yeah. I think she's his aunt, and he yeah. used to go there as a kid. Yeah. with his family and, and there was a lot of talk of this and this of course there was a lot of kind of home movie stuff um involved in the documentary but i kind of felt that that was kind of unnecessary input into it because i couldn't really care less that oh, she his was connection. his aunt yeah his yeah. own con connection yeah it kind of dwelt on this and i guess i guess he wanted to show a sign of joan didion away from the kind of more iconic presence I think. Yeah. Well, he interviewed her, right? So Yeah, he, he did. He did the um, interview. She yeah. was, you know, she's very old now. She's in her very late 80s or maybe yeah. in her 90s. I don't know how. I that we didn't do the background very well, but anyway. Yeah, we're really on it. <laughs> Our first <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but anyway, um, she's very old and she's still alive and she has written a lot about Loss give you in all the last the year. And as you are doing your Wikipedia, I'm just telling mm. that um, Griffin Dunn actually interviews her in the documentary now, yeah. but the documentary is mostly um, other people's voices reading from her yeah. writing. Yeah. Um, and images from, you know, the 60s and mm. 70s America. Yeah. And old pictures of her because she is a fashion icon and. No. Why so, do you think she's a fashion icon, though? Because I think this is one thing that didn't quite get established in the documentary. How she, of course, she wrote for Vogue earlier on and all this stuff, but how has she be, become a fashion? Yeah, I mean, well, there, there was no real uh, no that's talk about her iconism. Yeah. There really the wasn't, or how that yeah. how her presence has built or sustained, or yeah. how she's so because she's he's actually, a nephew, so it is his aunt. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, but I think, yeah, it's definitely based on the fact that she wrote in Vogue no. and that she was basically really, really cool and she was hanging out with all the rock stars um, all through the 60s and 70s mm. and always and always in these parties and they threw these parties and, and she just uh, wore Marimekko and among other things. Yeah, I mean, they, I, I think I think... I think one thing worth mentioning here is that just a little thing about Griffin Dunn, of course, his main claim to fame was that he was an American werewolf in London, which is a bona fide classic movie. So I just wanted to point that out. He, he's short-lived in it, but he's really funny in that movie. And, of course, he's directed loads of movies before that have been kind of terrible, I think. But anyway, this, this of course, the family thing was what led him. But I think this about the... About the 60s thing, I kind of had, you know, I don't know, personally for me it's kind of like, of course, you know, the, the 60s is always portrayed as some kind of very important period. But I mean, I you know, I grew up in the, I, I was conscious in the 70s and the 60s were always explained to me as a period that, my God, we never had it better in the 70s, so shit or whatever. And of course now I think that the 70s have been idolised as a really 
kind of classic time as well and every decade does but I found this a bit embarrassing about the documentary which was that at one point he asks her who she really rated and she said Jim Morrison and if anything at that point it really dated Joan Didion in the respect that of course I think the natural the modern perception of Jim Morrison is that he's not very cool and actually he was a bit of a pretentious arsehole and the fact that Joan Didion and that was kind of unfortunate because to me that was just that was just my own point that I kind of felt that um, at that him trying to kind of make her seem cool by talking about icons of the 60s that she hang out with she kind of came across as a bit not so cool by mentioning Jim Morrison saying I that really like that point because she is so dry mm-hmm. and she's so intelligent and and it was you know and that's her perception basically at least it was before the documentary and uh, now by mentioning that uh, she was actually just hanging out with all these rock stars all the mm. time and seeing how they are and like just following what they're doing when yeah. they were like on drugs. I, uh, can I finish yeah, my go sentence? On, go on. Um, it actually made her very <laughs> endearing that she actually just said, "Well, actually, he was just really cute. He was." Ba- she was saying, "I just like liked him. You know, yeah. I, I he was sexy. That's what she was saying." Yeah. That, and I I liked that really very much. It was endearing, and it was one of the only points where the documentary broke the kind of myth about her and brought something else into the... I think I think one thing we haven't discussed so much is actually a lot of the documentary is about her and her husband, John Gregory Dunn, and their relationship. Yeah, and I think that's a really romantic aspect of the uh, yeah. documentary because it shows that they stayed together even though they had really a difficult It marriage. was great. And, um, I mean, I thought that was really good and I thought... You know, this this documentary was good enough for me that I actually went and started reading the White Album because I wanted to read some of her writing. So it did kind of inspire me. I was going to ask you that. Did it actually make you want to read her? It did, yeah. It kind of... it, It kind of inspired me in that sense that I wanted to know more about her and I wanted to experience some of her writing. But I just want to make this point that um, something that... You know, I think she's had really great achievements and obviously with her political writing and her coverage of, well, something that will tie in what we talk about with Mindhunter, um, the whole Manson case and all this. And I think she was there at key moments in the 60s. And I think this wasn't made of enough in the documentary. And this is what disappointed me a bit. I think um, it tried to give a balance of where she is now, post her husband and her daughter's mm. death. Her the daughter reason, is also a yeah. big figure. The one yeah. reason why, why this happened, and I agree with you, it really wasn't a perfect documentary in any way. It's like a nice introduction, yeah. but you really want to dig deeper because she's so old She's and she has written for so long and she has so many books. She has had many phases of writing. And basically the 60s and 70s writing... Um, the way she put herself into the writing is very different to what she did in the 90s and 2000s when mm. she has written about losing her first her husband yeah. and then her daughter. Yeah. Very That's a very kind of tragic story and they did kind of try to represent Yeah, I that thought story. that was a good point of the documentary actually. There seemed to be some kind of balance brought back to what the documentary was about. That alone would have been a story. I mean, that's the thing that she has had such a long mm. and interesting life that you could make so many mm. great documentaries. Yeah. But somehow, 
a lot of the time of the documentary was wasted on quoting from the books. Yeah. I mean, I have to say this, that what I thought... Well, actually, because that was something. I actually put this down here. I made some notes before we did this. And I actually said what have been what would have been much more, for me, much more great or the best thing that could have happened in this documentary. I actually found the bits of the book that were narrated great. And I thought there's a real juxtaposition between this and the documentary itself. And I'm looking at this Richard Avenden picture on our wall here as we're doing this documentary. And I'm kind of thinking, you could have just had a bunch of Avedon images for an hour and someone just reading massive chunks of Joan Didion's writing and I think that would have given me a sense much more about who she was than this kind of documentary that was approached from an angle and I'm kind of being really harsh mm. with the documentary Well what happened here. is that it went halfway to being that kind of pictures yeah. with, with talking yeah. and halfway to telling the tragic story about her losing her it was, family. Yeah. So it really did, it couldn't choose and I think it didn't give enough about her and her husband being at the vanguard of music journalism in the 60s. And I think also they touch on it because of the whole hippie scene and she talks about the danger of their L.A. neighbourhood and everything. And, of course, the whole Manson and her befriending one of the Manson family. But I think um, it doesn't go deep enough into that dark side. And this is for, this is what I struggled with the whole 60s bit was that I felt it was a bit too hippy-dippy. Whereas, actually, it's, she was really at the heart of the dark yeah, And side she wasn't, actually. Actually, Which is far more, yeah. She wasn't. And that's right. And she and, was detached looking at yeah. this. Yes. And the other thing is that I think they don't have the footage. And that's why they had to make that. Like you could tell from the documentary that they were struggling to have some of the footage mm. to actually justify talking about some things. So then they just didn't, they weren't able to. And, the, yeah. the, you know, they didn't have footage of her doing her journalism in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. They just had some still photographs. Yeah. Um, but she's so a, that's probably why. Of course, I think, you know, a really big plus side for the documentary is her presence now because she is this very thin kind of spidery figure, very old. And, of course, you see a lot of images of her in the documentary when she was younger and she was this kind of cool, iconic presence. And But she still has some of that, I think, and, and she still had some attitude. Now, of course, she was the best thing about this, no doubt about it. Um, but I kind of, in a way, wish that... She, in a way, I kind of felt that I really wanted her to tell her own story much more than kind of be guided by Griffin Dunn. I'm kind of coming down really heavy on Griffin here, but yeah. but the, to me that kind of made this a decent documentary as opposed to being a really exceptional one. And I get the feeling that Joan Didion deserves that exceptional documentary. Absolutely. But you often don't have... These are a couple of things that often you don't have the material to dig it and, mm. and use it to make a great yeah. documentary. And other thing is that who produces it and who puts money into the documentary. Yeah. Now we have Netflix and HBO both producing a lot of new documentaries and and lots of others, about yeah. women artists who they mm. haven't been featured at all, really. These are all happening right now. And also about queer culture, there's new documentaries coming on these services. And you can see that some of them have been made really cheaply, but at least they are now being made. Yeah, there's some great curation going on. I have to say, just because this reminds me of this week, I'm digressing here a bit, but Christopher Nolan apologised to Netflix about when he was talking about his Dunkirk movie and he kind of made this derogatory comment about Netflix. But I do think that, yes, there's much commercial stuff there and I, you know, I haven't watched all the 
series they produce, but they are producing some great documentaries, and I think that are very left field and you know that that are kind of important. I think they are kind of doing something very good in the public domain that you maybe don't expect from a you know streaming series. yeah that nobody discussed effect, when we you know. started saying oh everyone's streaming why is everything streaming yeah. and oh no yeah. nobody's getting paid yeah. but these might be some of the benefits yeah absolutely i think you we know, should maybe move on to yeah, Mine Hunter. Let's, let's move on to Mine There is a connection, of course, between Mine Hunter and Joan Didion. We did touch on this that, you know, Joan, part of the Joan Didion documentary focuses on her connection with one of the members of the Manson. Do you families. remember who it was? It I was this woman. Yeah. Um, I, I will find out. We can get back to that in a minute. But anyway, this ties in quite nicely with Mindhunter. And Mindhunter is this new David Fincher series. Uh, he's produced it along with people like Charlie's Theron. And um, Fincher directs the first two episodes of the first season and the last two. And um, I think if you're a Fincher fan, you know that he's been very much involved in this whole serial killer because basically this is there's all these characters are real aren't they in the in the in the series the serial in the sense killers that they're, they're yeah it's based on events that have happened and the script has been written on yeah and, based and, on those real murderers and and real fbi agent is that it's yeah, based and on his book star narrative of developing social psychology that is used to like the criminal yeah. social these psychology. were real people so so you have kind of pseudonym actors playing the people but i just wanted to talk a bit about david fincher because i think you could argue that david fincher in a way this was for me this was a great series i really enjoyed it very much and it got much better as it went on i think you kind of got to know the characters quite well and this was um you know quite we're being joined by cats here if you can hear me Owen. um i think um of course fin fincher has real form with this kind of serial killer he made his name is seven which is a movie about serial killer he made the movie zodiac which is also which this i think this series very much relates to zodiac i think they're similar time scale when they're made i think one point about that's obvious is that T making TV series is now so in that yeah. even someone who's been making those long movies now yeah, yeah. is making a series. Absolutely. And uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is kind of about a serial killer as well. And even Gone Girl, you could mm. say, is kind of... And this, de this yeah. series definitely has that mood. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think if you're a fan of Zodiac, this is very much a great series to see because I think it really touches into some of that... Kind of new Hollywood seventies vibe is definitely there with this. All the Mer all the president's men. I think you can also look at that. But I thought what was interesting here was that the the main character who's actually based on a real FBI agent who's been very much John E. Douglas. He wrote the book that Mind Hunter is based on, and uh, he has appeared in the movies very much. Apparently, he's uh, he's the inspiration for the character Jack. Oh, Crawford. you mean his story has? Yeah, 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 yeah. He wrote the book that Mind Hunter is based on, and he's kind of a, a you know, in, in some sense, he's the daddy of criminal psychology, if you like. And uh, anyway, he was the or it's or it's application, yeah, yeah, in practice and yeah. in, in coming up with the um, the way that we, for example, call killers who kill many people serial killers and not sequence killers. Mm, yeah, that's right. And they came up with the word serial killer. Yeah. Actually, these dudes. But anyway, jo Johnny and not Douglas. Just dudes, one of them was a woman. 
Yeah, yeah. Johnny Douglas. Yeah, we'll get to that because I've got a question for you about that. Jo uh, Johnny Douglas, who, who um, the main character, Holden Ford, is based on the FBI agent, played by, really played well by Jonathan Groff. I think um, Johnny Douglas, he's been featured as the character Jack Crawford in the Thomas Harris novels, the Hannibal Lecter movies from uh, Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, Hannibal. He's in all these movies and he's been played by different actors all the time. But this this is Jack Crawford with a different name, Holden Ford, this time in Mindhunters. And um, what I like about this, it's, it's basically a... a I think at first it was a relationship between two men who were very different. Holden uh, and Bill Tench really played excellently by Holt McCallery, who I think really steals the movie. He's this more old school FBI agent who's seen it all, but he's having all these problems at home. But then it's I think old school, I guess by old school you mean that he he's not like into all this new psychology that's coming in he doesn't understand so much about I think he does though I think that's the thing he that does, surprises he him. appears first that he's maybe anti-gay he's jaded know, he's, he's, he's jaded conservative with it. yeah yeah and of course Ford is very conservative as well but then he meets this girl who's who's part of the bird you know this is starts in 77 this series so that's when the start point is so it's kind of disco and punk and the end of the hippie movement and he starts dating this student a woman who's studying yeah. psychology, yeah. social psychology. And, of course, she kind of brings him into a more dope-smoking hipster circle. And, of course, he's, prior to this, Holden Ford has been this very stiff FBI agent who is interested in serial killers. What okay. happened? Yeah, Can go I on. Speak? Yeah. Um, because, you know, you took a really long time there. So yeah, I have just... to make sure that it's a discussion. Okay. Um, what I wanted to point out is that um, we don't often get to watch these things together because they feel too scary for me. Mm -hmm. So often this kind of movie or series we wouldn't review mm -hmm. because I wouldn't be able to watch. But this actually is more about the minds of the killers and the development of how we think about criminality than like showing gory details. Even though there are some scary scenes, but it's, you know, it's more art of the mind that's i guess why it's called mind hunters mm -hmm. and i didn't so while i was watching it i didn't get really creeped out no i don't think it plays on that i think it's it is more descriptive the violence and of course the actual interviews with the serial killers and i they are a big part and yeah they yeah. go into into prisons and interview yeah the serial killers and, and they, this, that's creepy yeah this reminds me of a specific scene in zodiac when actually the mark ruffalo character there and uh robert downey jr i can't remember all his partner they go and interview this guy in prison and after many years they kind of think they found the zodiac and the way fincher films that scene that is replicated many times in mindhunter you get this eerie scene that you're kind of in the presence of real evil and i think that's kind of portrayed yeah. very well my criticism for for those scenes like for representing the the killers mm -hmm. is that sometimes it feels like they are just so stereotypically you know represented as what we imagine you know like mm -hmm. so obvious that but they're then, just 
but there's yeah, a couple you know, of like them. The, yeah. like, like if they are like disgusting, they are disgusting in a really obvious way. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, you know, if they are creepy, it's happening in a way that's really like, okay, well, that's what I would expect of someone who's done something so awful yeah. to so many people. But then, um, you know, I thought that's bad writing. But then you told me, that you checked out and these are actually all based on real yeah, serial all the killers. Car- yeah, yeah. So then that made me feel that, okay, then that's probably, they probably researched actually, the, serial the killers, behavior of even those in serial the series, killers. The serial killers, even in the series, are actually under their right names. Yeah, so, that, yeah so that's so. why I think they probably, it wasn't bad writing, was probably following the descriptions that those interviews had given. Yeah, and I think a lot of what these guys, what these people have discovered, these FBI agents, and I want to talk a bit about the psychologist Wendy Carr, played played really well by Anna Torv in this, is that um, I think that, you know, they, they've kind of set a precedence of a certain kind of police work if you weigh and and you know they sold for the fbi yeah for the fbi and for the police in general i mean you we see in the series that they also solve crimes when they go to these kind of little towns where a lot of these prisons are held to interview the serial killers i wonder if that really happened yeah i don't know if that happened but anyway it's still you know that a lot of these procedures that that they are discussing in mindhunter become kind of you know, they become the way the police work in, in trying to profile killers and serial killers and whatever. But I wanted to ask you something about the series. Is um, How do you think the women characters were dealt with in this series? And not just that, because I think there's a lot of talk in this series, a, a lot of violence against women in this series that is discussed, obviously, by the serial killers. Their main perpetrators are women. Hmm. in this how do you well, feel that was do you think really troubling that was really troubling to me i think that as has been now said recently a lot uh when you make art about violence against women or you you know whatever you discuss it in public you are usually replaying the violence so recreating the same violence and same sexism and everything again mm, and yeah. that was definitely done yeah. in this series so um yeah, a, lot of the, a lot of the stories they really were the same weren't they How yeah i know the violence i mean really it was always the women were the victims it was really classic the only strong female characters was this female student studying social psychology who was informing mm. the main character about a lot of stuff and like you know teaching him to not be so um you know basic and also basically yeah because he's he's quite an eccentric i think that's the other thing about the holden ford character that he is kind of super nerdy and he's fascinated by serial killers in a kind of slightly disturbing way he's not so yeah what the series does really well is it shows that anybody is capable of these things that these murderers have done and it just slowly links the main character to that feeling. Yeah, that's but we right. don't want to reveal too much. But anyway, yes, I definitely struggled with the fact that, again, this violence against women was repeated and repeated and repeated, and the murderers were repeating it, and the stories, the narratives were, and so were also the representations of the women in the series. So, yeah, I really... I really... It wasn't groundbreaking in any way in that sense. And Mm. it it was something that, once again, to enjoy the series, you know, I just had to, like, okay, and I'd be troubled by it all the time because I would have stopped watching it had I thought about it all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, my view on that was, I think, that... Because I think this was a top-quality series. Despite all that, I thought it was... This was good TV. I, I, I really enjoyed the... The Fincher episodes especially had this cinematic vision quality that you see in his movies, and that was great to see that kind of level of look on through the small screen. But I do think that the um, the Wendy Carr character, who's the psychologist that comes in and works with the two Yeah, FBI, who's not involved with the FBI, she's a researcher. Then yeah. that's an interesting thing, how she actually looks down on the police force. And, yeah, um, and I was just going to say that she's she seems to be far more intelligent than any of the men on display, yeah. and that kind of does counterbalance That's some. probably the only, you know, kind of like that the writers and the series is trying to like show that, hey, but look, the women are, I mean, they are trying to say, look the women are much more intelligent than yeah. anybody here these guys really these enough. guys are stumbling aren't they yeah. a bit and then she's like hey come on they are the authorities and all yeah. things. but another problem with it is that it's a very white series it's absolutely white and privileged and you know like as, yet as again was, as yeah. was the Joan Didion in a way absolutely, you know, yeah. it was this very much and um yeah you know, I think that was... In Mindhunter, there's one FBI agent who's black who comes into this yeah. series for a, for a little while. But other than that... It's yeah, and he's kind of really portrayed badly as well. Yeah. It's really weird. His character was very weak and questioned. and. But I really can't come up with any reason why that series is so white. I know that Joan Didion's story is pretty white because she's white. Um, mm. And that was following her her life, and I guess I don't know, or maybe they just. Well, I think I know why. I mean, we're talking about a period in Mindhunter, where I think you're post civil rights movement at that time, and it's possibly yeah, it was late seventies. Yeah, anyway. I mean, it yeah. wasn't. Yeah, but it's, it just shows it's a classic example of. Um, you know, white power that the top positions in the FBI. I mean, you know. absolutely. But it what it also shows is the imagination of the people making the series right now, and when they imagine, you know, because they did yeah. write a script. Yeah, of course. They yeah. they changed a lot of things and they colored many things in, but they didn't think about that. Yeah, you know, that's, that's what it true. shows. Yeah, I think, but I think you know, I do. Despite all that, I think this was a very good series i think i really enjoyed it i i think one of the best things about the series was the relationships and i think there is some good humor in the series and i despite the subject matter it can be quite funny mind hunter mm. it and, was entertaining it uh, yeah was just, and i yeah it was like you know for once you know because we seem to nowadays just watch things separately most yeah, of the time yeah we found something that we every night we wanted to watch yeah, which was good, and we watched it quite quickly. And I do think Jonathan Groff, the Holden Ford character, was was a good character. I mean, he he is quite a quirky character, and and I think what's interesting about the three protagonists is they're all very different, and they are in this kind of melting pot. But yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's going to be another season? I think there'll definitely be another season. I've heard already read that there's kind of talk of another. So season. do you think they'll fuck up just like they did with um? Um, uh, what's true the detective. true detective yeah. I think they're they're going to develop these characters aren't they I think that was the problem with true detective that 
you know, you have this such great two characters and it's kind of like, okay, less is more, I understand that. But then you make series and a big hole is those two great characters that you had yeah. in the first one. It had no connection yeah. the second season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but that didn't work. No. It was kind of like, just don't call it True Detective, call it another. Yeah. Then the expectation isn't so big, you know. I have one last question to you and it is that yeah. I've noticed that you uh, are watching a lot of, serious yeah. now about crime yeah I'm really into crime at the moment um, I kind of miss that wave there was that wave three or four years ago with the with the original killing and the bridge, bridge. and all these yeah. series like, and I true could, detective to a yeah, degree yeah and the we bridge came one. actually no longer you know it was it's older mm. than that but then it was made into American mm. I guess yeah. an American version yeah. was made and then yeah I you recommended Broadchurch to me and I watched that three seasons of that and there seems to be now this whole yeah i've been finding all these old series so Broadchurch was great happy valley was very good um that's not so serial killery it's but happy valley american or no it's english. english and it's kind of more about cop female cop and it's very strong it's really great acting i think um i just watched hinterland which is kind of like a welsh version of the killing uh, and that was very good and uh, and relates also to Broadchurch and The Killing, the American remake of The Killing. I watched that and that was really great. So I've been watching a lot of these crime series. I've kind of got the itch now. Amongst all that, I watched Twin Peaks as well. So that kind of... Yeah. Yeah. And no. Game of Thrones. When I watched, <laughs> like even when I watched Mindhunter and when I watched Broadchurch, it just makes me feel like I start to question everybody. Mm. and everybody's you know like doesn't it make you really suspicious yeah i mean i think what i think what's good about those series in a way though is that they all seem to have this um because they have this kind of ambient music there's something almost surreal about the series oh, and that's, they're, yeah. they're kind of shot in this non-realistic manner although they're very real and the performances are very real there's some kind of heightened atmosphere with it that isn't so realistic so i think it's very easy to separate yourself from them saying that i think the the american version of the killing was much more but also that had a lot of that as well. I mean, this seems to be the way now that if you make a cop series, and this is what was a bit fresh about The Mindhunter, it was maybe more because of the setting and the time, there's 70s music yeah. going on. It was more about, it, it was very different visually to those series. It was, it was yeah. aesthetically, you know, quite high quality. Yeah, that was nice. and I don't think those other ones aren't, but I think they all very much follow each other in the same kind of tone. Yeah. So this this did make a difference. But yeah, I've been obsessed with those recently. I watched the Broadchurch and the music just did my head in. Yeah. Like, how can they just repeat the same Yeah, that's same won all these awards, isn't it? For yeah. three seasons. Isn't it some Icelandic geezer? I, think I it's don't know, music. I never yeah, want to hear it, it again. I'm sure someone can tell us better. Hey, we should wrap this up, maybe. Yeah, so. You can find... One Quart magazine online. Obviously, you're there if you're listening to this. www.onequartmagazine.com And that's where this podcast is housed in. But we also have a Facebook page for My Lawyer Will Call Your Lawyer. Yeah, just look that up. And Facebook please go slash. and like it. Uh, we've been publishing written movie reviews for... Seven years, maybe longer. Yeah. Seven years. There's hundreds of reviews online at the My Lawyer Will Call Your Lawyer webpage, which you can go stock.com, just find it. It's yeah. 
and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Go Thanks. watch some movies and remember to read some John Didion. Thanks for listening.